Let's return to Weinberg on the Law on TalkZone.com. Once again, here's your host, Attorney Scott Weinberg. Welcome back to the show. We're talking about the different types of assaults that can occur. You know, I want to go back. Ben and I were talking about the uh, assault by uh, by Lawrence Taylor. You know, one of the things that is just crazy about this is it can get you so much time in prison. We came across a uh, a Carmel man out in uh, California. He gets 370 years for child porn. And let me tell you why I bring that up. Because, you know, there is a major difference between what Ben and I are talking about with having some type of sexual relation with someone, on, someone under the age of 16 and our child pornography laws in this country. And the reason I say it is because if you don't know someone is under the age of 16 and you have sexual relations with them in Michigan, you can be charged with a 15-year felony. If you download a picture of someone who appears to be, even if they aren't, but appears to be under the age, in this case of, let's say, 16, and you down, you can look at it, you might be moral, it might be morally repugnant, you might not go upstairs with a big guy, but it is not against the law to look on the web, on the internet, for child pornography. Now they want to prosecute the people that are taking the child pornography for the depictions of the kids under that 17. But to look at it, unfortunately, and as a father, it is not against the law. But once you download it onto your computer, once you put it onto a, once you put it onto what you own, it's considered, um, possession. And that is a whole range of problems. That is a situation where it doesn't matter if you necessarily knew that the person was, if it can be reasonably understood that that person was under the age of a certain age, depending if it's federal or state, you can be prosecuted. Let me tell you something. Those are really serious penalties they have. But that's not alone. Even if you download it, that's not the end. That could be a federal or state case. You can be charged with using a computer for committing a felony. That's another case. But if you download it and then make a copy of it onto, let's say, a SanDisk or onto your another hard drive or you burn it onto a CD, even if you thought you were doing it harmlessly, you can be charged with a much more serious 20-year felony that not only federally but state, they can prosecute you. So there's many different crimes that they can charge you with for down for looking at downloading and then copying the well not looking at but downloading and copying child pornography for someone who looks under a certain age so it gets back to should we have these kind of laws that are not known let's say by an individual i'm telling you many people don't know that you can't download pornography of course they should know you can't download what would be looking as child pornography there are many people especially teenagers that don't know it's against the law to have sex with someone under the age of 16 whether you're a boy or a girl but when we talk about a law in terms of assault does someone or should they know that if they are infected with aids should they know that if they get into a fight and they bite someone, just like we're talking about with this Clinton Township man, that they should be charged with not only assault with his weapon, but a bioterrorism law? I don't agree with that. I think that just, that goes beyond the way we should be fighting, quote, bioterrorism in this state. 
Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. It shouldn't be bioterrorism, but if I'm carrying a a deadly disease such as AIDS or, as you said, hepatitis, and I and I get into a fight and I bite somebody, I think I should be held responsible for my decision making. Well, the prosecutor agree, and uh, prosecutor Ben will be uh, watching you uh, hanging out with uh, with our Macomb County prosecutors and trying to. Uh Trying to get this guy convicted of it, I tell you. But you know, it get, it gets into also violent acts, and and there's a high court in uh, in California. Well, basically the California court. Now they're appealing this uh, to uh, the Supreme Court. The high court accepts a case over violent video games. You know, and this gets into a discussion that we're going to have uh, in coming weeks whether or not video games are creating some type of uh, super category for sociopaths that they're creating their sense of or their their um, uh, homegrown violence in order to make them more violent because they are playing video games. And here we have a uh, out of uh, CNN. They're talking about free speech dispute over the California law banning violent video games to children will go to the Supreme Court. And I actually think it's, these should go to the Supreme Court because that is exactly what we need. We need some kind of guidance in our social, uh, economic situation here around the states. Guidance from the Supreme Court to what state laws should be in banning video games. Because I personally, my personal belief is it should be left up to the parents. That is what I think we're going to go to. But when you get different state laws that have different state provisions, you have the some type of right-wing, crazy, protective nutcase that says all video games should be outlawed if they have any depiction of violence, has never watched television in the last 30 years, hasn't watched any of the shows that are the most popular shows that any kid can watch, except you're supposed to have parental guidance. And that is what we need. We need the laws to dictate how parents are going to guide and help do things with their children and punish the parents that don't, not guidelines to have not even the sale of these uh, of these types of games. The Justice of Monday uh, in California, accept, or, uh, Supreme Court, accepted the state's appeal. We'll decide whether the law in California, and this is what's important, Ben, I want to talk to you about. The law in California is too restrictive in denying access to minors for potential graphic material. And what it means is basically they're saying there can be a law in a state that denies the access of minors to some type of graphic material. There can be. Just like we got laws against uh, um, marijuana for, obviously, for non-medical purposes, against alcohol being distributed and tobacco, that we can have some type of restricted law for age. And I don't necessarily deny that, you know, you, you shouldn't have your five-year-old looking at certain types of materials. But if the law goes too far, it obviously should be uh, struck down. So with... That, that's, that to me is just crazy. Cause I know right now, uh, here in the state of Michigan, I haven't gone elsewhere to buy a video game, but, cause I am a gamer. You have to be, if a game. You and my son. Hey. It's a good way to get aggression out. I'll it is. That. It's funny that we're talking about it, but it is. It's a good way to get aggression out. But, uh, if a game's rated M for mature, you have to be 18 years old to buy it. I know for a fact that if you go to a local store, they will ask for your ID. And even if your kid's right there with you, the store clerk will say, do you know that this game is rated M for 
violent actions, sexual suggestions, blah, 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 blah. And there's many times you just see parents go, mm-hmm, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I, I get it. But they're just doing it but as like a babysitter. Yeah, but Weird. there's uninformed parents. That's exactly right. You get parents that will, you know, do not only allow their children to uh, take on reckless behavior because they just don't want to have to worry about what's going on. They'll let their kid, you know, ride their bike and they have to cross the freeway and they're eight years old, but they're too lazy because they don't want to have to drive them. Or they're going to let their kid wander around after midnight, even though there's a curfew, because they're watching Saturday Night Live. I mean, you have irresponsible parents, but, you know, you also get parents that are trying to follow certain laws, too. And it brings us up to what we're uh, talking about, again, in terms of um, the legislation, uh, a different legislation here in uh, in the state, and that's regarding marijuana. Um, you know, whether or not there should be a medical marijuana law is not up for debate anymore. We voted it in. It is in this state. It's overwhelmingly... Um, positive in the state. Now, there might be effects of it, and I think there's going to be changes in the statute, but that is our law now. But we're holding it against mothers and fathers that um, are going to be going and using this law legally. And we're going to be talking with um, a local professional that I think is uh, really clear about how we're, how we're actually facing this. All right, now it's legal to smoke marijuana if it's medically prescribed to you but your ex is trying to use it against you to take your kids. What's your next step? Well, we're going to go today and talk to our old friend and family law attorney, Ellen Painter. How are you doing, Ellen? Good, Scott. How are you today? I'm okay. So what are we doing now? Now we can actually have marijuana that's prescribed to us, but the state in the family courts, how are they addressing these issues with parents and parents trying to use it against the other spouse? Well, that's an interesting question, Scott, and it really hasn't been tested on up to our Michigan Court of Appeals or Supreme Court, so it's really going to be up to your individual judge in your situation how they're going to apply the current law with this new situation with the medical marijuana card. And basically, they should treat it like any other prescribed medication. I mean, really, let's say that you've got one spouse that uh, is using Vicodin. And it's prescribed to them. But let's say that they aren't abusing it. It's simply a medically prescribed drug. How is it any different than what they're doing now with marijuana? And that's exactly what the argument should be made to the court. I mean, previously, prior to there being a medical marijuana card, if marijuana is brought up as an issue to supervise somebody's parenting time, a judge would have automatically said, you're testing positive for marijuana, we're going to have your parenting time supervised. But now this is a prescribed drug, like you said, just like Vicodin. And in that situation, if someone has been prescribed Vicodin and is using it that it's prescribed therapeutic usage, then there shouldn't be an impact on your parenting time. And the same should go then for the marijuana. What's going on with, uh, let's say that you're charged with a crime, and obviously as a criminal lawyer we get uh, people that are charged with crimes of uh, drug use or even drug delivery because they've simply been involved with giving someone uh, their prescribed medication and let's say that they have given their uh, their friend or their family member uh, prescribed medication so they're charged with a crime now that's involving drugs how does that uh, impact their ability to take their kids or to keep their kids when a spouse is trying to take that child 
Well, any type of criminal conviction can impact your parenting time because if the court feels that you're not following the law in a criminal court, then it's possible that you're not going to properly supervise your children during your parenting time. So that can certainly impact it. Which I never actually got, if you want to know the truth. I mean, there are so many irresponsible irresponsible parents that have nothing to do with whether or not they're charged with crimes. I mean, I, I know clients that are charged with crimes that are dishonest crimes or crimes of assault that have uh, something specific to do with how they're going to be responsible with the child. But I have other clients that are charged with crimes that have nothing to do with the responsibility. They're mistakes that they made, and yet the other side are going to make, it sounds like, havoc of it when they want to keep their children. Do you find that some crimes are treated worse by these judges? They feel that it's more egregious and therefore there should be less parenting time than others? Well, yeah, certainly. Something like a retail fraud is probably not going to impact your parenting time, but something like an assault and battery is. Do you so find- there are going to be, there is going to be a standard of what the judge is going to apply in those situations. So what do you think is going to happen with this uh, medical marijuana uh, law? Do you think it's going to be, not necessarily the, the law itself, but do you think it, how do you think it's going to impact these family law judges? Do you think they're going to follow it and say, okay, as long as it's prescribed to you, you're not abusing it, you're not getting charged with any felonies because of it, that they're going to treat it like a regular prescribed uh, analog or, or medication? Well, and that's a good question, Scott. I was actually at a seminar today where there was a panel of three circuit court judges, one of them here locally, and I specifically asked them this question. And basically the one judge says, wow, this makes me feel uncomfortable. So we don't know how he's going to rule. But the other two judges were pretty much along the same line that they're going to treat it like something like Vicodin or Oxycontin, where if they're using it to prescribe usage, they're not going to hold it against them in a parenting time situation. Well, we're talking to attorney Ellen Painter here, and she's obviously one of the uh, foremost family law attorneys around, so we hopefully be able to uh, follow this. And if you, quite frankly, find out there's any interesting cases out there involving these types of uh, family law issues, I want you to bring it back here so we can talk about it with our listeners. Absolutely, Scott. I think we might be seeing them coming down the line. Well, you take care. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you, Scott. you want to join us, we're here at... uh, CBS Radio, 1270 WXYT. Call us at 248-851-1270. This is Scott Weinberg on The Law. Have you or a loved one been arrested or charged with a crime? Do you want to stay out of jail and try to keep your record clean? Then you need the attorneys from Weinberg Law at 1-800-7100-LAW. And if you call right now, they can qualify you for a payment plan designed just for you. That's right, an affordable top criminal law firm. Call 1-800-7100-LAW. Stay out of jail, keep your record clean, and qualify for payment plans. Call now, 1-800-710-0529. That's 1-800-7100-LAW. 